Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Can you believe 2020? Like another decade we've started. It seems like just a while ago it was 1999 and we were worried about Y2K. It must count as one of the biggest, if not the biggest, non-event ever. The whole world freaked out about the year 2000 and... Nada. <laughs> here we are, 20 years later. And uh, for you guys down in front here, um, you haven't started yet measuring your world or your life in terms of decades. I know you're on the other side of that, but coming soon is a day where you will start to look at life in terms of decades, and that was decades ago. And Well, anyway, I'm not excited about that, but it's here, so away we go. So uh, what I am excited about, though, is is that we're starting a new series this morning. Us and probably at least half of the rest of Christendom that have seen the obvious and succumbed to it, we're starting a series called 2020 Vision. (laughs) How, you know, like, I mean, it's just right there, you can't miss it, we, yeah, we've, so we've dove in along with everyone else. 2020 vision, and our hope is that this year, as we look at this over the next four weeks or so, that we will be able to see God more clearly, and that that will shape our perspective as we go into the year ahead, this decade ahead. So over the course of this month, we're going to be looking at four aspects, if you will, that help us, I believe, see God more clearly. We're going to look at God's goodness today, We'll look at his promises, and then his ability, and then finally his sovereignty in the next weeks ahead. And that's going to be our our hope, our our desire, that that will be foundational for us. That that will help us to see him more clearly, and then not only just see him more clearly, but that it would move from just knowledge, if you will, but to, to belief as well. That it would become our belief and therefore then affect and change the way that we live. As we lean into God in this, as we see Him more clearly, our perspective changes. I think that whenever we encounter God truly, we can't help but change because of who He is. That's just the way that He impacts us. He doesn't change, but we do. So as we seek Him in this sincerely, I hope that our perspective will adjust. I hope also that our confidence in Him will grow. That as we know Him more, as we understand Him better, that our confidence in Him will grow. And that we will again live out our lives according to who He is with confidence. I trust that we will then lean into Him more. That as our confidence grows, we will lean into Him more, which just sort of perpetuates that cycle. 
that as we step out and trust him, then we see him work in our lives and we're that much more convinced of his presence, of his ability, of the promises, of his sovereignty, and we, and we lean in a bit more. And finally, then, that we would then follow him better. That in the circumstances and the situations of our lives, that we will trust him and follow him, knowing and being confident in his presence with us. So, when it comes right down to it, I would say that my hope is actually even bigger than that this would affect us for this year or even this decade, but that this would be foundational for us going forward in our lives. That as we start 2020, that we would build on this foundation for the rest of our lives and that it would be effective for us in living our lives with and for God. So to that end, would you just stop with me once more and let's pray and ask God to come and work this morning. Father, again, we thank you for this new year. We thank you for the potential that exists because of you within it and beyond. God, we would pray that again, that as we look at you and as we try and focus on you, that you would bring yourself into uh, focus for us more clearly than ever before, that we would understand you better, see you more definitively, that we would recognize who you are and what you are up to and all about, and that we would lean into you as we go forward. So to that end, again, we ask for the presence and the participation, uh, your presence and participation this morning by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and our minds. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Demonstrate yourself to us. Help us to sincerely seek you. And as we do, change us, God. For your son's sake, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to start this morning by looking at the goodness of God. And I think that this is so apropos. Like It just makes sense that we would start with the goodness of God because the goodness of God is so fundamental, so foundational to everything else that we're going to talk about and who God is as a whole. And so number one, the thing that we need to understand this morning, the thing that maybe we need to be reminded of is that good is the summation of God. If you were going to pick a word to try and summarize God, and you picked good, I would say that's a good word to pick. God is good. It is who He is. It is just His nature. He can't be anything but good. Let's take a look at some scripture that would lend itself to that. Back this idea up. Psalm 101, uh, sorry, 107, verse 1. There it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one that takes refuge in him. Exodus 
33, verses 17 to 20. You'll recall this passage. We talked about this in the morning service not that long ago. This is where God has called Moses to be leading his people. And Moses, in turn, is petitioning God, saying, you need to go with me in this. You have to go with us as, we, as you take us into the promised land and, and the plans that you have for us. Don't send us alone. You have to go with us. And so then the Lord replies, and the Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will, pro will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. As, as Moses comes to God and is pleading with him, begging him to go with them, and then as he pleads with him to show him his glory, that God would demonstrate himself to Moses, God says, I'm in on that. And so I'm going to show you my essence, which he says is all of his goodness. He refers to himself, his essence, as all of his goodness. And so we understand, we see there, that when it comes to God, that he is good. That to understand and know God is to know his goodness. That he is good. That's just who he is. Good. I think sometimes in our efforts to know and understand God, we try and break him down into individual characteristics. And I'm not arguing that that's not a bad strategy. Or that that is a bad strategy. And that's a good idea. We can understand God through his different characteristics. We can understand him through his love. We can understand him through his justice. We can understand him through his holiness. We can even understand him through his anger. We can come to know him through those things. But oftentimes what we do is we add on another characteristic good. So God is good. He's holy. He's just. He's angry. What have you. And it be becomes just one of the aspects of God. But what we need to understand this morning is that if you will... His goodness is an overarching characteristic or attribute of God. It affects all of these other attributes. It affects His justice. It affects His holiness. It affects His anger. So it's not that He's just good sometimes and just sometimes, but in all of His characteristics and attributes, He is Good and his goodness shines through. So then we can understand it to say that his goodness then governs all of these other attributes of him, all of his other characteristics, if you will. That when he is being just, which is all the time, he is being good as well. His goodness informs his justice. So, if you will, another way of looking at it. His goodness is exercised in all of his attributes. Are you following me this morning? Every time God acts in his character, he's being good. 
So, once more, a little bit more specifically yet. When God is just, he is being good. But, we also understand that his goodness means he is just. That if he wasn't good, he wouldn't be just. And when he is just, he is just because he is good. To not be just would be not good. We can understand it in his anger. That when he is angry, he's being good. And if he wasn't somehow provoked to anger in that circumstance, he wouldn't be good. That somehow he would be dismissing or overlooking something that should cause a holy God to be angry. And it follows then down the line with the rest of his attributes. So this morning, as we come to the goodness of God, we have to come to the realization and the understanding that God is good. God is good. That's just who he is. And this is foundational. Further to that then, number two, we can understand then that all that comes from God is good. Now, being that God is good, we know that what comes from Him must be good as well. Every time, all the time. It can't be any other way because that's who He is. Good. So, this bottle has pure water in it, if you will. And from this bottle then... I can only get pure water. I can't get dirty water because this is a bottle of pure water. Same with God. He's good. And whatever comes from Him then must be good. So we need to understand that and recognize that and appropriate that for ourselves in our lives. God is good because that's just the way He rolls. It's the only way He can roll. Because that's who he is. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know, Paul says, we know that in all things God works for the good. James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from God. And what's more, James says, God does not change like the shifting shadows. I can't just one minute pour pure water out of this and the next minute pour, pour, pour dirty water. God does not give us good and then the next minute give us bad. He doesn't change. What comes from Him is always good every time. Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees, says the psalmist. You are good, and what you do is good. Amen, then. Teach me your decrees, God. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. So then this morning, 
as we look at God, we know that He is good. And secondly, then we know that all that comes from Him is good. And this needs to shape our perspective in life. We can always be confident in God, knowing that He is good and what He is doing is good. We need not question. We don't have to debate. Instead, we can lean into Him today. We can trust Him. We don't have to question. We can be confident in Him. And in fact, number three, we need to understand this morning that we get into trouble when we doubt God's goodness. God's good. What He does is good. We can lean into Him. But when we doubt Him, when we begin to question Him, that's where we run into trouble. We run into problems. Now, up to now, we really haven't had any real difficulty, right? Like, I mean, God is good. We all put up our hands and say, yes, He is. And everything that comes from God is good, and we all agree, yes, He does. That's the way He rolls. Those are the Sunday school answers. It's not hard when things are going our way. But so often, what happens is that where things start to generally go off the rails is when our circumstances don't line up with our definition of good, right? That's where we begin to run into problems. We look around and we see circumstances that don't fit our definition of what's good. And as a result of that, then we start to question God don't we? Rather than redefining our definition of good, or rather than broadening our context in order to see good, or even rather than just trusting that God is good, we start to question. We start to doubt His goodness. And that is a recipe for disaster. And if you don't think so, turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. We'll go right back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. There it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the fruit, sorry, eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certain not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right from the very outset, we see the problem that comes when we doubt God and His goodness. Satan here obviously capitalized on our pride and our desire 
as man to be in charge. But he set the trap, if you will, by getting Eve to question God's goodness. He comes along and he plants in her mind the seed of doubt that what God is up to is good and that he himself is good. He convinces her that God is holding out and that he's not good at all. That he isn't after what's best for Eve. That he's trying to hold her back. And he convinces her that God isn't really good because what he's doing, what's coming from him, is not in her best interest. And Eve falls for it. And so do we, don't we? As the challenges in our life come, how often is it that we begin to question where God is at in this. Is he really good? Is what comes from him good? We start to question his ability to do good. Whether he can actually fulfill his promises. Whether he has the capacity to overcome the challenges in my life or what have you. We question him. We question his goodness. We question if what's going on in my life from him is good. But listen, Psalm 84 verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing does God withhold from us as we pursue and seek him and live according to what he calls us to. No good thing does he withhold from us. As we look at Eve and her situation, those circumstances, we see with the benefit of hindsight that God was not withholding from her anything that was good. What he was withholding from her was for her good, for our good. And our problem comes when we doubt him. And then when we begin to act on those doubts. Number four, this morning... As we look at God, we need to understand that God can use difficulties to accomplish good. God can use difficulties to accomplish good. And here I would refer you first to the story of Joseph, who you'll recall was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers were envious, jealous of their younger brother, second youngest brother. And they, and they looked at him and decided that what would be best is to get rid of him. To just rid themselves of him. And so they hatched a plan. And they sold him off into slavery in Egypt. And there you'll recall the story. From there it goes on. That Joseph went through some challenging 
situations and circumstances. He encountered a lot of difficulty in his life during that time. But in the end, that God led him through it towards something else. And here we find then his summary of this whole experience, if you will, in one verse. Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph said, You, speaking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Into his world, into Joseph's world, came challenges and trouble that God allowed. But God accomplished good through them. As we look at Joseph, we need to recognize something. That sometimes the challenges in our lives, personally, are for the good of others around us. That God is doing something externally beyond us that is good. And as He calls us then to participate with Him in that, to navigate through the challenges that He's allowed for us in our lives, then we can be confident that somehow, somewhere, He's accomplishing something good through it. Not always do we get to see it. But we know we can bank on the fact that God is doing something good through it. And therefore, he's calling us to trust him and to lean into him because we know we're assured that he will bring about good through it. Second example would be Paul and the thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. And you'll recall that there. That Paul had an issue of some sort that he had pleaded with God about, that he wanted out of his life. But listen to him as he refers to that circumstance and what he learned through it. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. Therefore, so that I, Paul, Paul writing, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant. I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong." Sometimes God allows challenges and trouble in our world for the external good beyond us. But there are often times that he allows trouble in our world for our internal good. Our personal good. As we see here with Paul. And unfortunately, I would say that so often, this is the case. That he allows trouble in our world's world so that we do not become arrogant because it seems to me that that becomes our default that when things are going well 
that when things are going according to my plan, that I don't attribute that to God's goodness, but rather I accrue that to my own credit. And that serves then to build my arrogance. And I start to look at my world and the things that I'm accomplishing, and I begin to see myself as responsible. Look, Doug, at what you are able to do. Look at what's going on that you're pulling off. Look at how good you are. Look at how bad things would be if you weren't involved. Does that sound familiar? Or am I alone in that? Sometimes I think God, more often than not, allows the challenges in my life to keep me, myself, in check. Because when I become arrogant, when I experience success, when I start to see progress, all along the lines of what I'm looking for, then I start to deviate further and further into my own orbit. Further and further away from God. So as I hear from Paul, and as he speaks into my life today, I have to recognize and be content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions, and difficulties, so that I don't become arrogant. So that I don't begin to think I'm all that and a bag of chips and start to judge, start to condemn. Start to drift off into my own orbit become less and less effective for God, but rather that through those things then he can remind me that it isn't about the fact that I'm good, but that it's about the fact that he's good. And in that I have a message. In that I have a story to tell. In that I have the truth that I can point to. Because of God and His goodness, we have something to hold on to. Something worthwhile. Not me. Number five. God's goodness is best demonstrated in Christ and His sacrifice for our sin. If we're going to talk about God and His goodness, then we have to talk about our sin. In this world, over and over, we're told we're good people. We have this tendency to evaluate ourselves and deem ourselves good. At the very least, better than some at least as good as them. When in fact we're not. 
We're not good. There's only one who is good, and that's God. And that our sin is disgusting and disgraceful and horrid. And that what we deserve is only death. Only death. Because we've missed this mark so, so far of a good and holy God. But, thankfully, that's not where it's left. Not where God left it at all. Because of His goodness. Because of His goodness. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of God's goodness, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 5.10, because of God's goodness, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. We know God's goodness most completely and most clearly in Jesus Christ who came on our account, on the account of our sin to accomplish what we couldn't do on our own, what we were not good enough to do on our own so that He because of His goodness, could come and save us. Not because we deserved saving on account of our goodness. So this morning, as we come to the communion table, today, and every day, as we remember it, every time that we celebrate it, we celebrate God's goodness to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And though we were enemies of God, he was, we were reconciled to Him through His Son as we place our faith in Christ. 